Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Weekly Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. I'm joined as ever by Liam O'Brien, uh, a regular rugby pundit analyst. Liam, how are things? Oh, great, Mark. Great, Mark. Uh, it's going to be an unbelievable weekend. <laughs> Eye-popping. <laughs> There's going to be so much action. Oh, I tell you, Easter, my God, it's a gift that will keep on giving this weekend, really, Liam. I suppose what we'll focus on in this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is to do with the four Irish provinces in European Champions Cup rugby action. We'll review Leinster's win away to Connacht in Galway. We'll also have a look at Ulster Rugby's great win in Toulouse and also Munster uh, putting up a battling performance against Exeter Chiefs. I suppose we can start first off. I suppose we'll get the Munster Rugby tinted glasses on here, Liam. Uh, with regards to Munster, uh, all the injuries, all the late withdrawals, pretty much home onslaught from the first half. But a very encouraging second half from uh, Munster here, Liam, sets up uh, an intriguing second leg in Toman Park on Saturday. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it does set it up completely. It's on a knife edge. Um, as a game, look, that first 40 minutes was shocking. And, and that's why that you had Graham Roundtree absolutely eating the head of the lads off at half time. Um, everything just collapsed, you know, our scrum, our line outs, turnovers. Um, but there was still that little sliver of hope, you know. I still thought that the hardness. Uh, and O'Donoghue were, were battling even in that that very poor opening uh, half. And look, it was it was uh, they got their two tries, ten nil, probably probably should have been twenty twenty five nil to be honest about it. But um, we came right back into in, into second half, and that that's very encouraging. That um, as good as Exeter played, I suppose their execution was poor, and they were very tactically naive at times. They would have you know, going to the corner, going to the corner, then getting the line out mall, all the lads in, even the bloody backs. <laughs> they have no one to pass the ball out to. It was just a bit naive and it gives us an, another bit of hope for, for the weekend, I think. Exactly. I suppose we can thank an awful lot of experienced heads in that Munster Rugby um, side, namely Conor Murray. I know some have been quite critical of Murray's performance. I thought defensively, he was absolutely superb. Uh, you know, Keith Hurls will probably get to in second half. And also I thought Jack O'Donoghue's leadership and overall work rate here, uh, Liam. Andy Farrell uh, was in the stands in Sandy Park. Surely he would have seen and observed a great performance of Jack O'Donoghue again. Surely it's Jack O'Donoghue's meriting an Ireland recall here in terms of a New Zealand summer tour. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, look, he's in top... God, I mean, we have the luxury, but he's certainly like top seven, top eight uh, back rows that we have. But um, I mean, even the thing is that that, that like you know, Leinster obviously is is so strong, but also Munster. I mean, really, you couldn't argue any combination of three like at this stage of obviously O'Donoghue and maybe Byrne, even uh, Coombs or Sullivan. Well, pretty much all the back row, you know put three of them in there and they'll, they'll, they'll do a, go, a good job yeah. Um, but yeah I mean all season one thing we can say about, about Munster we can't say much about them offensively but defensively under Freira they've been very very strong like and, and you know oftentimes, you know literally 
not having much possession, but the the opposition not making any real headway uh, either. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, incredible t- try saving uh, prevention tackles. Um, we yeah, Murray Murray saves a try, and Earl's obviously in the second half. But um, you know, it, it was a crazy game in the sense of. They got their two yellow cards and we got a try, a really good work, well worked try uh, scored by Daly. And then we blew it, you know, <laughs> if we can say as much as that, as we blew it, considering we didn't have much possession for the first 60 minutes. But we absolutely mine uh, a brain fart uh, from Scannell there. And yeah, but I mean, look, I mean. It was a, f- a funny old game. I, I thought that, that Exeter took too many kicks to the corner. You know, after a while, you have to try something else out as well, don't you? It's a true point, Liam. But I think Exeter Chiefs really do back themselves when they get into that five-metre range of an opponent's line. They're famed for it. their tradition on it, their pack, their phase play. I thought after the fir- first, second, third time, maybe... Take your points. I mean, this is a playoff fixture, two-legged affair, aggregate score. But again, Rob Baxter, they've instilled with the players, obviously, and on the pitch to go for it. You have to applaud him to a certain extent. But I think bigger picture here, uh, Liam, it kind of got Munster a little bit out of jail because that could have suddenly turned into an 11-14 point you know, contest and really Munster would be looking down the barrel in Tom Park on Saturday. But I suppose it was a very funny game. I mean, from the dominance of Exeter, then to have the two quick sin bins in quick succession. I don't think there's any arguments there, is there, Liam? In terms of those two uh, yellow cards for Woodburn and Schitterlink. Um, I mean, to be fair, you know, I think Woodburn's was very much deliberate kill the ball. I'd even kind of go a stretch further to say, was that a penalty try? given, you know, that the extra Chiefs defensive line was not really set at the time. But kudos to Munster, I suppose. Uh, Daly, I thought, after a kind of a shaky enough start, not the only one from Munster to have a shaky enough start in that opening period, really kind of grew into the game. And then, as you say, if I see Niall Scannell tapping and going again, there will be words because, I mean, BT Sports were very quick to put a big, you know, long zoom camera when you saw the three and one overlap on the wing just need a little bit of patience a bit of composure but we go tap and go and that's food and drink text their cheese their pack so hopefully i think monster rugby video analysis will have really kind of kind of pick your moments i mean i would have preferred maybe if we took the, the points three points on offer and keep it live but i mean i think both teams probably were very well guilty of that um but yeah it was it wasn't a classic by a stretch team, but I mean, somehow with all the absentees in Munster, they're still in there. And hopefully we'll get a few more bodies back uh, this weekend. And it should be a rousing atmosphere in Tottenham Park on Saturday. Yeah, Mark, if there was ever any mitigating uh, factors and circumstances from Munster, like definitely this game, um, we had Zebo and we'd Baron out um the day before and apparently a, a lot of the players who who actually played had the old bug as well so you know when you when you put that in with, with the other key guys who were injured um and Exeter pretty much were full strength i think without Cowan Dickey and Jack Nowell so yeah i mean when you put it that way 
it's it's actually a, a good good decent performance. You know, you couldn't find fault with the, their defence, with the, their heart and spirit. And next day, it's just that when we get those opportunities, that we execute them. And yeah, just just as I said, like. I think we have to really front up in in terms of the scrum as well, like um, because Exeter will will still come to Toma Park and still want to absolutely like pummel us. And it is interesting how in the English game compared to the URC, it's all power, 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 which obviously you need, <laughs> but you also need that bit of tech technical ability as well. And the Munster jackaling and just kind of general the way that we're able to get turnovers. Um, against them was quite interesting as well, I thought. Yeah, no, definitely agree with you there, Liam. Um, it's very much a physicality approach here from Exeter Chiefs, but it served them very well. But I suppose they did show a little bit of finesse as well. I know um, Stuart Hogg, we've been in the past quite critical of, but I thought he was very much on point, wasn't he, last weekend? Great try after five minutes. That was a superb drop of goal as well in the second half. The only points for Exeter Chiefs, mind you, in the second half, which was a critical score. But he kind of led from the front, I thought, from full-back. I thought it was very dangerous, um, uh, along with Tom O'Flaherty as well, who had his moments there. And maybe we can get to that Keith Earls-Chris Farrell combo right at the end. I mean, we did have our golden patch in that third quarter, but in the last probably 10 minutes, extra started to assert a bit more dominance. Penalties followed, particularly in set-piece. But um, that's a breathtaking defensive effort from Keith Earls and Chris Farrell to prevent that try off I think it was Woodburn was it? Uh, yes it was Woodburn keep, yeah. Yeah to kind of keep this tie pretty much alive for Munster uh, but a phenomenal effort particularly from Earls really and given the lack yeah. of game time as well that he's had in recent months. Yeah um, it, it, like absolutely like now it was a try saving but like it was it was the, the tie saving tackle. How he got back I don't know because he had an amount of ground to cover and he he has always had a very good uh, defensive game, unlike what maybe other some other wingers as much as he's had an offensive game, you know, and that always has to be has to be said as well. And yeah, I mean he still has that that pace, obviously, you know. Um and we had that, but we also had, you know, Exeter at the very the very last minute again trying to barge over as well and, and, and held up. So yeah, so um as you said, in the last 10 minutes, they did come back strong. And, you know, you afterwards, funny enough, the, the, the Exeter players looked pretty dejected, I would almost say, <laughs> you know, um, including Hogg, you know, kind of almost like a what uh, WTF moment. Yeah, I mean, it was probably pretty disappointing for Exeter Chiefs. I'd say they probably saw the team sheet before the game and probably were pretty confident. The new Munster rugby would be a tough ask, tough assignment. But given the likes of Peter Romani, you know, Ty Byrne, Joey Carberry, a whole string of players unavailable due to selection, team news would have filtered through in terms of this bug that had swept through the Munster squad as well before uh, lead up to the game. I mean, from an extra Chiefs perspective, they look very despondent, uh, Liam, to be perfectly fair. And, we can go back to Munster as well. Craig Casey had a, you know, that um, try chalked off as well, you know, for a super cover attacking from Woodburn. Uh, could have been looking at a win there as well. But I think from an extra perspective, 
maybe an opportunity lost. They know what to expect coming to Tome Park. I do recall there a few seasons ago, and this is going to be where it becomes very cup final rugby now, Liam, doesn't it? He said, you know, we're talking about being flash, expansive, creating width. It's really 3, 6, 9, 12 now at this stage. Get your points on the board, and then attacking width will follow. Um, again, nobody will remember Munster if they go all expensive here and lose by five points. I think the the mission is quite simple. Win by six and uh, get through to the next round. So I think from a Tone Park perspective, it should be a cauldron. I think the season's on the line here for Munster. And I think for a few players as well, you know, this could be really a very defining day for quite a few of the Munster rugby players, particularly guys, I would say, likes to Joy Carberry if he does kind of slot in, you know, provide that European magic moment uh, for Munster to kind of lead him to success. I mean, it, I think, is definitely required here. Uh, what do you think, uh, Liam? Yeah, well, obviously it is. It's going to be a big, big uh, moment. Like, I mean, the front row obviously going to have to big time step up. You'd be probably saying that Ryan would nearly have to start to try and give us some sort of a platform. Um, and yeah, like O'Mahony back in, you know, these things should obviously help in terms of our scrum and our line out as well. Um, actually, big, big haul, I'd, I'd have to say, in terms of Joey versus Healy, you know, as as as, as in who starts, you know, the, these are real live options now, uh, especially after the, the last day as well. And um, we have to kind of think even, you know, what are we going to do in terms of our second row? Are we going to put a bit more ballast in the second row? Are we going to have Jenkins and, and Klein or, you know, we just have to think more uh, as to how we're going to get over the line. Because as, as you said, this is absolutely crucial. And in a funny way, <laughs> this is a very funny thing. I had to say this. I, I have a funny, sneaky feeling that Ulster will actually, you know, win against Toulouse. We'll get over the line and then we'll beat Ulster away. You know what I mean? Because so you could see a real, you know, a real momentum uh, shift starting from that. Yeah. God, you're very optimistic. You're already into Sabine Hoyle there, Liam, to be fair. I'm only looking at 80 minutes on Saturday, but I, I do get your point. Is there a, a hooker debate here for Munster? Uh, what, no. what about the disgraceful decision of of young Buckley? Like it's not just on Saturday. I think it was it's been all it's been all season. You've pretty much mm. been all season since 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 he came back from from Coventry. Um, then he was pretty much sent to Coventry. You know what I mean? He was banned pretty much. It looked like. So what's your views on that? Yeah, to me, like now Scannell, you know what you're going to get with him, but there is that brain cramp moment, that tap and go. If this result doesn't go according to plan, that will be a moment for me that I think oh, that could have been a pivotal point, you know, in terms of just take your points, the composure. To me, um, probably Scandal will start. I don't think they're going to rock the boat in that, but the line-out was a bit shaky. Uh, I'll be brutally honest on that. Now, Scott Buckley, does Barron come back into the mix? Has he recovered from... The, this bug that went around but for me Scott Buckley should have seen a bit of action in Sandy Park I think it was a pretty damning indictment of management that they clearly didn't trust the young guy in Buckley to come in and do a job I mean you saw extra Chiefs clearing off the bench at a regular basis 
I think it's a bad, bad look from a Munster Rugby's perspective not to trust your youth. And it's not as if Scott Buckley hasn't delivered for Munster this season. The Wasps game particularly was one where he stood up head and shoulders. So I would hope for Munster Rugby management that they're a bit more brave in terms of this. They have to make the calls in terms of who's on form, who's not. And for me right now, it probably is pointing to Scannell. But if Scannell is not delivering in the first 25, 30 minutes, this is business end of the season. This is where Van Gran and the management team earned their corn. They have to make changes. So, I mean, I think Scannell, I think, is on the radar here for me uh, to kind of hopefully impress, deliver a very cohesive performance and, you know, be very composed and, you know, disciplined in his ball carrying. That's what we're expecting him. But to clear, clear, you know, empty the tank for 40, 45 minutes, then put in your Barron or put in your Scott Buckley, whoever you feel is a better scrummaging option because Exeter will be relishing that scrummaging battle after last weekend. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, but I I think the the whole thing is is to back the young lads from now even to the end of the season. You know, whether it, whether it's the European Cup or the URC, that's the only way to go. That's the only way to go at this stage. Absolutely. Now I don't really see a whole pile in terms of changing it up, in terms of backline. Now the ten position probably comes a bit of a a live debate if Carberry has gone through training unscathed. You've Jack Crowley there as well, obviously. Uh, who's playing well this season. So it'd be interesting to 10 position. I think given that it's a five-point deficit, maybe Casey's left in reserve until maybe the second half, maybe 30, 35 minutes in, uh, well, 50, 50 minutes into the second half, to literally go and kind of make make attacking with. But I think from that perspective, I don't think we're going to see a whole pile of change. Uh, like I think Daly will probably start back three along with Haley and also Earls. So I think from that perspective, backline has to kind of stay somewhere consistent. But I suppose fresh bodies-wise, it would be great to see Jason Jenkins in there and absolutely start driving things forward from a second-row perspective. Who do you replace then at that stage? I would go for Ryan. Easy for me. Tight head. We need the scrummaging platform. It didn't happen on Saturday for Stephen Archer. I think Archer is there as a reserve for me. Um, his stats kind of showed it as well. I uh, didn't have the best game, but again, Archer is going to be required probably down the stretch and we need some experience kind of coming off the bench to close it out. So I think that would be, so I think pack was, I think we could see maybe two or three changes there, uh, which is interesting, but yeah, all bodes well uh, for Munster. And again, it's going to be very attritional, isn't it, Liam? I don't think there could be one point in the difference here in aggregate. You know, it's going to be right up until the final whistle. Exeter will come. They'll provide, you know, an awful lot of uh, good moments. For themselves so i don't see a whole pile in this so i think for munster the performance is going to have to be upped particularly when they have ball in hand uh liam we might go to leinster connacht galway last friday night very entertaining game 26 21 uh result for leinster but i was pleased for connacht i thought they acquitted themselves very well uh what were your general thoughts uh, on the game yeah connacht they left it all out in the pitch absolutely you couldn't say any more than that um and it's still you know still up in the air you know you know five points is absolutely nothing um kind of played really really well um scored some two really good tries um they were defensively overall they were they were quite good apart from the probably the two low tries were a bit soft really defensively but apart from that they they were they were in it right to the end probably um in the last 15 minutes, they even had a, had a chance like to score a try. 
another try um, to actually win it, like pummeling the line and just a bit more finesse that was required to get the win. Um, but yeah, I mean, Port stood out. Again, the back row. Um, Hansen was very clever. Carty. Yeah, overall, very, very impressive performance. Yeah, I was delighted to see Gavin Thornbury back as well. Blean, he's such a vital cog in that Connacht front five. To get 52 minutes out of him was pretty pleasing, I think, if you're Andy Friend. Uh, gave you an awful lot, 11 tackles. Uh, it was very good, kind of, in terms of overall play. Um, yeah, Ushing Downing came on for him, didn't put a foot wrong there as well. Yeah, it was just the kind of the key moments, you know, the Port try, super platform, but then Leinster flexed the muscles and no better team to expose kind of some defensive frailties, particularly out wide. Um, thought uh, the try um, for, yeah, I thought some of the tries were sensational. James Lowe's tries were absolutely top notch, but again, maybe Connacht not really hitting Leinster at source here. Uh, maybe defensive line speed wasn't what it should have been and communication-wise as well. There did seem to be a bit of an inside run there, which I think Bundy and whoever, the Connacht player, there was, the gap was too big, obviously. Um, but again, saying that, Connacht grew into the game. I mean, the Gibson Park incident gives them a foothold in the game. They have Leinster rattled for the 10 minutes that the, uh, Leinster were down to 14 players, really hanging on a little bit. Um any complaints on the other card here for you, uh, Liam? Because there's been an awful lot of conjecture. No disciplinary panel has uh, cleared Gibson Park, but I mean, it was a key decision during the game. Yeah, it was. And look, for once, I would have to say, to me, it was very harsh, is what I have to say, you know? I mean, if you talk about connection to the head, that was about the slightest connection you could, you, you could see in a long time. So I would have probably just like... If I was there, I would have said like it was just a penalty, you know, penalty against uh, Gibson Park. I wouldn't have wouldn't have put him off myself personally. And yeah, like I mean, it did it did a huge thing because in in that ten minutes, Connacht did get their try, um, and that was a crucial score in the context of the the two legged affair. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think it was a. It's kept the tie nicely set up uh, for Good Friday uh, up in the Aviva Stadium. I think a special shout out to Hugo Keenan as well here. Liam thought his performance again was nothing short of sensational. Just in terms of his ball carrying, it's 16 carries, 141 meters, uh, passes eight, three tackles. Uh, I mean, try assists too. Um, again, very prominent performance. I think Keenan, every game I see him, he's becoming more and more complete in terms of his attacking setup. I mean, defensively, you know he's rock solid. But just his evolution this season from being a fledging fullback last season to now has just been absolutely incredible. And I suppose the team selection for Leinster, uh, biggest, highest compliment that they could pay Connacht is, you see, that front five. <laughs> that front five is phenomenal. Um, Connacht are going to be up against the front five, but I think it's showing massive compliment to Connacht that they feel that they have to do that, uh, Liam, ahead of the second leg. Yeah, it's 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 the ultimate respect because being honest about it, if if Leinster feel kind of the same team as from the first leg and uh, against Connacht again, 
She's yeah. I mean, it really would be a lot more up in the air. I I, I would have to say, you know, um, and yeah. Now I mean, she's yeah. Even just scrum penalties alone, you think about it. What 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 what? Leinster could be could be actually getting there. Um, so yeah. Um, I think most people are probably predicting that you know twenty twenty five point win for for Leinster, you know. But um, it could be it could be even tighter than that. I think for Connacht, the aim first half is to keep in it, keep in the tie, be competitive. <clears throat> Let this run down to the last quarter that this tie is still in the melting pot. I think we might see a bit of nervousness come into the Leinster Rugby's performance a bit if it's still in the balance. I think Connacht are well and truly capable of creating the attacking with. The only concern I would have is the tries that they leaked against Leinster last week. It's going to be a quick turnaround to kind of address some of those kind of clear defensive communication issues. But I think Connacht, I think we said it last week here, Liam, they have nothing to lose. I think all the pressure's on Leinster rugby to deliver a performance and get to a quarterfinal. So I think Connacht, they really have nothing to lose here. I hope they produce a, a good performance again, ask a few questions. And after there with maybe 60, 65 minutes to go, and we're still within the five, six-point aggregate. Um, anything is possible, because then, you know, Leinster could be looking over the shoulder a little bit. They've kind of tried to inflict a few knockout blows and still haven't been there. But again, that front five looks fairly ominous. I mean, the likes of Ronan Kelleher comes back in, going to have to prove a point with Dan Sheehan, deputising so well for Ireland and Leinster. You also have Andrew Porter coming back into the mix Tyke Furlong. It's a it's a phenomenal front row, but again, it's really down to Connacht Rugby here to play good, smart rugby. You know, get their exit strategy spot on, and what they're capable of doing is you know creating line breaks. And I think you know they have to just focus on their own performance. If they can do that, then I think Andy Friend and the squad of Connacht should have no regrets getting out of Aviva. But I think it probably you know Leinster will win, but I would hope that Connacht would raise a few more questions here of Leinster. Uh, I think that could be one of the standout fixtures uh, tomorrow, hopefully, weather pending. Um, if it's a dry day up in the Aviva in Dublin, I can see plenty of tries from both sides. So I think that's kind of going to be a, a good a good uh, fixture for the tournament organisers. I suppose we can go then to uh, Liam uh, Ulster Rugby. Uh, went to Toulouse. And I know we were very concerned for Ulster, given their South African tour quick turnaround to head to the southwest of France but in fairness to Ulster they soaked up an awful lot of pressure um, even playing against 14 players to Toulouse and got a 26-20 result uh, what are your thoughts here Liam do you think the six point margin is enough for Ulster to proceed well I think it is after what you said five minutes ago but overall perspective on the game do you think Toulouse still have a chance uh, going into the second leg oh yeah of course they do I mean, when you think, okay, they were they were down to fourteen, but they still had such a huge amount of um, meters meters gained and passes completed that you, that you know the argument is that when they, if they have a full fifteen for the entire eighty minutes, that completely changes things. Then, but you know, Ulster effectively, you know, they they have this kind of counter attacking rugby that they, that they can certainly hit you uh, and Balakum absolutely outstanding hat trick. Um I suppose look the you know the tie would be almost over if 
it was something along the lines of you know 12 points or whatever um or more so that late try conceded was crucial all right but look i i still think that ulster many of us weren't tipping them at all to get out with anything bar maybe you know uh uh, uh, heavy enough defeat so they'll be delighted with that and they just have to you know win the game now effectively a one point win <laughs> oh, there so it's all to play for I think it's set up nicely for Ulster Rugby and the reason I say that the six point margin it means really nothing in the context of a two legged affair I think the fact that Antimax scores a try late on may have kind of maybe focused minds a bit in Ulster Rugby if it's going in the 13-point margin, how do you approach it uh, from an Ulster rugby perspective? Do you kind of stand off, be a little bit cautious, let Toulouse come on you, which is never a good idea? But the fact that it's six points in it means that Ulster really have to go for it. Um, you know, and I think Robert Balacon, you've mentioned it here, Liam repeatedly on that back three, but Balacon's pace and just overall skill set is just phenomenal. And it was a very strong defensive effort from Robert Balacon. 11 tackles. I'd be shocked if this guy's not featuring in New Zealand in the summer. I mean, he has the full package. Complete package in terms of his ball-playing ability, his sheer pace, physicality, and his defensive work. I think Andy Farrell might be do better than put him in in one or two of these test matches to see how he goes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, in terms of a back three, Balakum would be there, wouldn't he, realistically, with um, with Lowe and with Keenan as well. And, yeah, I mean, New Zealand is the ultimate testing ground for for that back three and for all the other players. Um, so it'd be, he, he he's a physically big, strong guy as well, like Lowe, except he doesn't carry the weight of Lowe. <laughs> so, um yeah, um, it'd be great to see him, certainly in Irish shirts. Absolutely. No no issue with the red card here, Liam, to be fair, one Cruz Malia. I mean, it's late. It's completely wrong in terms of uh, the way he's gone into poor old Ben Moxham in the air. Um, any complaints, really? No, that's, that's, like a, that's a red card all day long. There's no mitigating circumstances either to that, like, you know. I mean, if you looked at the stats and didn't know that Malia had literally been sent off after 11 minutes, I mean, as you said, the metres gained. 670 metres gained by Toulouse during the 80 minutes, 423 for Ulster. You had 150 carries for Toulouse to 98 for Ulster. That's really indicating to me, Kirlene, you know, the sheer defensive work ethic of Ulster throughout the game. This wasn't a stroll in the park by any stretch in terms of playing against 14. Toulouse continued to um, play the rugby. There was 35 missed tackles from uh, Ulster, which is kind of just showing you in ball in hand how dangerous even Toulouse were with 14 players. And I mean, 216 passes for Toulouse versus 120 for Ulster. So, I mean, you could really argue here that Ulster were so clinical when they got their opportunities to score here. And maybe more of the same in the Kingspan is required to kind of get them over the line and into the quarterfinal, which hopefully they would richly deserve. Yeah, again, I mean, I mean, even even at home in the Kingspan, it could it could be, it could be something like you know fifty five, forty five possession wise for for Toulouse, but you know as we've seen in that first leg, they had that kind of ability to hit you hit you, 
um, soak it up and hit you. And yeah, it's going to be a, it's a magical night in the Kingspan. Absolutely. And I think it'd be remiss not to say Robert Balacone's numbers as well, because they were pretty much eye-catching. 170 metres for 10 carries, two passes, 12 tackles actually, instead of the 11 that he made during the 80 minutes. Um, and again, just, you know, clean breaks tree. But I mean, his sheer pace was phenomenal. I think it's another standout fixture here, Liam. I think quite a few of these uh, fixtures have really kind of caught the eye. And I suppose the fact here, Liam, that five of the away teams won their first leg. I don't think we saw that coming last week, to be fair. We thought it would be very much home team advantage, but maybe it's kind of showing that maybe the seedings here were true to form uh, to a certain extent um, with some of these results. Yeah, yeah, you'd have to say. I mean, I mean... Ulster, obviously, you know, from, from the, the group stages and, you know, obviously Dykes of Leinster, La Rochelle, all these teams, um, really eye-catching away performances, like, they were so comprehensive as well. Like, I mean, some of those ties are pretty much put to bed, you know, when you have uh, Tigers and Claremont is pretty much put to bed. Um, I would even argue that the, the Parisian Derby, that um, Racing, Pretty much, it's all over as well. So that that was quite interesting. Indeed, I think Racing ninety two preyed a bit on Stade Francais discipline problems in one particular hooker as well. Unfortunately, who got his marching orders? But yeah, I'd agree with you there. I think a few of them are pretty much done and dusted. I thought Leicester Tigers in Claremont. Now I know we mentioned last week, Liam, in terms of Claremont being kind of not the force that they once were, but I thought it was a very clinical performance. Uh, from Leicester Tigers, the usual suspects performed massively impressively. And maybe Leicester, maybe a kind of a dark horse here to go deep in the competition. Just given that result, did they go cheeky on it? Did they rest a few first liners here? Maybe put them in reserve? I think they have the luxury to do so because Claremont, what's the mindset going in here? They may throw the ball around a bit, but I think it's very much risk and reward. So I think for Leicester Tigers, you know, it's a very much a kind of a, a nice setup for them. And I suppose the, the other one, my favourite team, Montpellier, after the pool stages, do, uh, did a nice little number on Harlequins. I mean, after 55 minutes, I think they were 33-5 up against Harlequins. I never see that, saw that coming. It'd be very intriguing to see what Montpellier will do. A 14-point margin, credit to Harlequins putting it back to 14 points. What sort of team selection Montpellier will actually put out in the stoop uh, over the weekend? Because... I thought maybe Harlequins would be a bit more closer than that. Yeah, I, I thought so too. But I mean, 11 points, you get the feeling with Harlequins, the way they play, you know, and Don Brandt, so prominent as well. And yeah, that they, they, they're kind of team, they, they will score four or five tries in that game. Like pretty much in, in every game, <laughs> even as we, as we could see away from home. So it's funny enough, it's kind of one of those one of those few occasions where it may be eleven points, but it's like very doable, I feel, for Harlequins. Yeah, because I think with Montpellier there is that that's niggling doubt there, isn't it? Definitely when they get on the road, they're not the force that they are at home. And I suppose team selection will kind of indicate if that is more an issue than not if they start to put in fringe players in against Harlequins. With Marcus Smith, Dubrant as well, phenomenal backline unit. So, I mean, 14 points out of the teams that are really struggling here. I think the Harlequins is probably the team that could actually get 
a resultant win over the two legs would be a phenomenal achievement for Harlequins, given where they were last week in Montpellier. But I suppose the only, my only hope is Bristol Bears and Sale Sharks just let it rip tomorrow night. My God, that was an absolute bore of a game uh, last Saturday. It was on Channel 4 and couldn't wait to actually end the match. It was so phenomenally bad in terms of all facets of play. It was just literally pretty mind-numbing at times. So hopefully the Bears and the Sharks will just literally let it rip uh, tomorrow night. Uh, it kind of needs it because if it's another board there, I think, um, yeah, I think tournament organisers wouldn't be too happy in terms of viewership, particularly tomorrow night um, being primetime viewing from. Um, so, Liam, with all that said, uh, maybe we'll move back to Munster Rugby. I suppose the best-held secret in the province is now out. Graham Roundtree has accepted uh, the head coaching role uh, with Munster Rugby. Uh, what are your thoughts on the announcement and any kind of thoughts in terms of maybe, I mean, it's all conjecture at the moment, but in terms of backroom staff-wise, who would you like to see uh, slot in alongside Roundtree? Yeah, look, I'm, 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 I'm happy for Roundtree. He's kind of, you know, of the same um, sort of ilk as as Munster. You know, when, when you come from somewhere like Leicester Tigers, you you know what tradition is, and I think that's that's quite key. And it's interesting to see that you know Leicester obviously know tra- tradition as well, but I think they've moved on a bit. I think that the, the culture in Leicester has moved on. They've kind of realised, you know, probably lo- looking at you look at the, the Breves and and the Bats and other teams that were prominent beginning of the European Cup, you need something else. You need to create a new winning culture. And Leicester are almost on the cusp at the moment, you know. They're they're going to be around for a few years. So um, in terms of so many questions, really, you know, why did it take so long from December until now to get Roundtree? And I suppose the, the we have to be honest and say that it's because three or four guys actually uh, refused the position or or basically uh, didn't confirm that they were interested in pursuing it further and now we're still in a position where we don't know what the backroom team is and this is really going to be quite crucial to him because we have our third coach head coach in a row without any head coaching experience um, it worked very well with, with Axel and Rassi and now, you know, it was our first ever director of rugby. That kind of ended and we didn't pursue that again. I think we have to go down the route of director of rugby for sure again. Um, in terms of, you know, backroom team, um, still think Mike Prendergast could very well be tempted in there. Um, talk of Noel McNamara, uh, even Dennis Leamy. And... If those guys all came together, yeah, that would be a pretty, pretty, pretty strong uh, backroom around him. And, you know, I think and yeah, I had to talk of Milton Haig as well as director of rugby. Um, not not too sure about him. But, um, yeah, it's 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 one where even I think a lot of the Munster former players are kind of ha- happy enough that he's still there. And there's some sort of continuity as well. I'd agree with you in terms of Roundtree. I think Roundtree, he gets Munster. Munster gets Graham Roundtree. I think first and foremost, that has to be called out. I think from a head coaching position, it's now time for Graham Roundtree to leap into the head coaching role. 
look at the vast experience and resume that that man has in terms of the British and Irish Lions, in terms of various clubs that he's served in England and also in Munster as well. So he kind of knows the fabric of the club from being here for the last few years. Now it's the natural choice and step for him to become head coach. The one critique I would have is the director of rugby role. I would be completely with you here, Liam. And I think I mentioned this on Hawkeye Psychic Facebook. There's a bit of a mixed response in terms of that. Um, I think operationally and transformationally wise from Munster Rugby, this organisation has to evolve itself from top to bottom. Every employee within this organisation has to reflect and has to improve. I mean, we're very much second fiddle to Leinster. You could argue here Ulster Rugby are above Munster and Connacht are kind of on the toenails uh, of Munster here. So I think from that perspective, one man is not going to change the organisation. I think he needs a good solid backroom staff beside him. I think the names you've mentioned, absolutely very excellent coaches in their own right. I throw in Ian Costello there as well. I think in terms of an attacking coaching perspective, a guy that provides an awful lot of upside for Munster Rugby within the organisation should definitely be seriously considered. Again, you've heard Blackett, the Wasps coach, at length praise Ian Costello when he mentioned comments about John Ryan's transfer, about the, the recruitment, who was the key person that he went to from Wasps? It was Ian Costello. This is the reputation that Ian Costello has built in England. So I think from my perspective, he needs to be given you know, another shot in terms of maybe an attacking role or something significant within the backroom staff and Noel McNamara kind of falls through. I think it is just an organisational time to reflect in terms of the appointment. I think our grassroots structures, we have to start enhancing again, identifying our club players in terms of who's getting to the next level, you know, looking at our kind of club networks, stuff like that, schools, everything top to bottom. There needs to be, you know, a bit of a, an appraisal done at the end of the season because we've mentioned it last week in terms of our tight head prop situation. Apart from Stephen Archer next season, who's our go-to guy? And we really don't have any at the moment, unfortunately. So I think from that perspective, we really need to kind of, as an organization, look at it as an opportunity to really reflect and make changes. That will boost Munster long term here, not just a short term fix, slot in the head coach, everything will be fine. It certainly won't be fine. You know, we may, this may go a little bit worse in terms of performances before it gets better. But I think the key here, I think, Liam, and I think you probably agree with me, as long as Munster are taking steps to kind of maybe kind of bridge the gap, look at case studies of other rugby clubs. You mentioned Leicester Tigers, how they've kind of transformed themselves from that culture to now getting on the cusp of being top of Gallagher Premiership, looking as if they're going to go very deep in Europe. What changes have they made in the last few years? They have been struggling for many seasons. This season's transformation has been pretty good, and I think maybe it comes down to head coaching. Maybe it comes down to coaching standards here to elevate the skill set of the squad. Maybe a clearer game plan mindset. We need to kind of start picking brains here in terms of how to close the gap. It's not just Leinster. It's not just Ulster and Connacht. It's the South African teams. It's the European teams that we're going to have to compete. I think we'll see the acid test on Saturday against Exeter Chiefs. You know, we may get through Exeter, but then the quarterfinals may look very daunting. It's either Toulouse or Ulster, which, again, going on based on current form, you'd probably have Munster as an underdog. So I think... I think all the best for Graham Rowntree, but I think, you know, if you're Graham Rowntree right now, you're really busily preparing 
identity. He may have his own guys that he may bring in here that were unbeknownst to us, particularly previous guys he's worked with Leicester or in England may come over and that might be good as well. Um, but I do think that director of rugby is a bit of a sore point. You see with Stuart Lancaster, Leo Cullen, there's a transparency there. There's bouncing of ideas. There's challenging in terms of how to improve the thing. Um, it's that sort of collaboration that we're requiring here long term. So I think all the best to Graham Roundtree and hopefully Munster Rugby can support him as much as they can because, again, he is a rookie head coach, as you say. So he's going to need time to bed in, but he needs a good backroom staff beside him. And hopefully we'll get maybe an announcement on that, Liam, in the next week or two. And, you know, that will then start preparations for the new season and maybe start identifying more player pool resources uh, based on that. Yeah, of course, the, the, that would be the hope. But I mean, I suppose if we look at the Ireland head coach, being honest, most of us weren't that happy with Andy Farrell succeeding uh, Joe Schmidt, and we kind of said more of the same. And in the in the backroom team for all those years, and what new ideas will he bring? And kind of a safe appointment, and it turned out pretty good, I have to say. And, you know, he, he was basically his own man. That's what we found out about Andy Farrell. Um, and I think it could be more the same with Graham Roundtree. So that's, that's one thing we have to take into consideration. Um, I thought on Saturday, the kind of the halftime panning to the Munster dressing room, and there was Roundtree just losing the head completely. And... To my mind, Van Gran cowering like a little schoolboy, looking up at him. You know, we knew who the real boss was, and and I argued with the guy uh, who the 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 squad really wanted to listen to at that particular time as well. Yeah, I mean, for Van Gran, he's in not an un, a pretty unenviable position. Again, back in the last year, he's announced to be the new Bath Rugby head coach. I think after that, his autonomy and his control is completely diminished undermined and i think as you said that image that shot of the, the dressing room really did paint a thousand words here who's actually the person that people are looking up to here i mean van Graan may have the world pearls of wisdom but i think to be perfectly honest it was roundtree that they seem to have the influential clout i mean if someone of roundtree's magnitude is going absolutely you know hairdryer treatment on you you're going to basically stand up and you know, listen, but I, I thought it was a very kind of apt, kind of even they panned in to, you know, the Munster management throughout the game. I thought, you know, you definitely saw very much animation there from Roundtree. I mean, Larkham and Van Gran trying to kind of look composed. Uh, but I think Roundtree is fully vested in Munster now. He's the head coach. And again, he's going to have to work with the bulk of this, pl- this playing group, um, particularly the pack as well. And it'll be very interesting to see what will evolve there. Um, you know, next season, particularly pre-season. We're losing more departures, Chris Cloyther, uh, John Ryan particularly. That's experience that, you know, is going to be badly missed. But again, it's an opportunity for academy players, stuff like that. How are we going to nurture that? Um, so I think for round three, it'd be very interesting to see his viewpoint, the backroom staff that he's going to assemble now. And I mean, it's a two-year contract, correct me if I'm wrong here, Link. So I think yes. hopefully things start to shape up for Graham. And, you know, that he gets a fair crack at it because it'd be nothing worse than he's not being completely supported by the hierarchy in Munster Rugby to succeed here. Uh, and then we're back to square one again. So best wishes to Graham anyway. I think he's a true gent, you know, complete legend of the game. And 
he deserves his opportunity. But I think Munster Rugby, Ian Flanagan, board have to support him in any way possible to make this an appointment, the, the, the success that it deserves it be. Liam, we might leave it there anyway. Uh, very exciting fixtures coming up uh, this weekend. Yeah, hopefully, well, it'd be nice if all the four provinces could win, but obviously there's a loser up in the Aviva Stadium uh, on Friday. But uh, best wishes to all the four provinces. Hopefully Munster and Ulster do the business against Exeter and Toulouse res- respectively. And hopefully it's an absolute cracking game between Leinster and Connacht and let the best team win. And Liam, I'm going to go with... <laughs> I'm going to go with Munster plus seven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I honestly think I, think, I think it could be around about that. Yeah, I think that'll be a tight affair. I just, just see a traditional battle written all over it. And if the weather is what it's supposed to be, a bit damp, a bit wet, I think your pack platform is going to be paramount. Yeah, I'm hoping. Liam, I wouldn't be all surprised if this went extra time. Brutally honest, I think Munster by five, it goes into extra time. And we'll see after that then. In terms of, uh, you know, try counts, all that rule book will have to be hauled out at that stage. I just feel that's such a tight uh, encounter. And hopefully, I think I think good Ulster, you know, for me, it's a game that they need to really kind of showcase their talent. And hopefully, they'll get it over the line. I think it'll be tight, though. Um, I think they'll just squeak it. I think it may, be, it may be two or three points in the aggregate score overall. But I think it'll be a very high-scoring affair. And I think for Leinster, Connacht, I think Connacht will have good moments. But I think Leinster, I think, maybe by plus, plus 10, 12, I think. Uh, just that front five, for me, kind of looks to have all the, the aces here for Leinster. Yeah, Liam, we'll t- leave it there anyway. Uh, thanks for your time anyway. Have a great Easter and enjoy the games. Well, day, Mark. See you then. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast... Why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.